Welcome to Masters of Employee Development, Mike Acker's podcast devoted to training team members in any type of organization. As a best-selling author, corporate trainer, and business leader, I seek out guests each week to discuss training successes, challenges, and best practices. On this show, you will hear from incredible CEOs, HR directors, and other experienced managers responsible for leadership and development. Lean in, listen, and take part in a community dedicated to improving life through increasing leadership. Back on the show, we have Jonathan Schroeger. We recently heard how he started a company and then sold it a few years later for tens of millions. How do you do something like that? You don't do it alone. You build a team. We're going to talk about that today. Welcome back, Jonathan. We're coming to talk about employee development. You were on the recent segment talking about just advancing leadership. You gave some, gave some great insight. If people haven't checked that out, check that out. But Jonathan, I'm looking forward to talking about employee development with you today. I'm super excited. I mean, when you think about the future of work and you think about people, uh, one of the things that often gets forgotten is that people are the heart of every company. And they're, they're what makes it happen. So I'm excited to spend some time to talk to you a little bit about some of my experiences and my team's experiences around people and employee development. So thanks for the opportunity. One of the things that I love that you talked about last time was just about writing things down. So if you were to say, what would you be writing down about what you're looking for to bring out of your team, whether it's written down or not, what are you hoping to develop in your team? What do you want for them? You know, I think for me, I look at leadership's main responsibility as development and building the future generation of leaders is what I've always been focused on. Any company that I've been in, I've always kind of sat down and said, okay, who are the key leaders on this team that don't realize it yet today? Hmm. And what can I do? as a leader to give them the opportunities to kind of realize that. And so when you think about it kind of from that context, it changes the mindset. So it's less about, oh, what are these people gonna do to deliver their goals, which is important. What are these people gonna do to help me deliver my goals, which is important in in business for sure. But how are you building the next generation of leaders and how can you help them see that for themselves? I think that's what's most critical for me and that what, what I've always tried to achieve in every role that I'm in. What are some things that you have done to build those leaders? So you got that mindset, you got that heart. How yeah. are you making that happen? So what I, what I tend to do is I start always start off in a new company, whether it's a company I've founded or whether it's a company that I've joined. And I do what's called the listening tour. And what I really want to do is it, people think that I'm doing the listening tour to understand the business and how to take it forward, but I'm mostly doing the listening tour to understand my people, to understand where their talents are, where their talents might be, and how I can help them be successful. So the first thing I do is that listening tour, and then I take an inventory of opportunity with each of those individuals. The second thing I do is I, I look at individuals, because this happens in every company, Mike. I look at individuals who are not being appreciated appropriately, and I try to find natural, non-contrived opportunities to give them that appreciation, whether it's more immediate or over time. Um, So that's the second thing I do. And the third thing I do is 
I try to share my own leadership story so people can see like how how do you think about your future? One thing that I often find with budding leaders is they don't think very far ahead. And so when I was 21 years old, I wrote out my 20 year plan. I put it down on a piece of paper. Paper I had, you know, I had the kind of the finance category because back in your 20s, money is very important to you. I had the finance category. I had the social category. I had the physical kind of fitness exercise category. You know, I wanted a house, a car at a certain point, a wife, a family. Anyways, I wrote all of that out when I was 21. And, and I didn't do a year by year, but it was like every two or two or three years, I, I set these goals for myself. And so at the end of it, the goal was to become a CEO of my own company, um, to have a family, have, have a child, have a house um, and a car and all that kind of stuff. Right. You know, I grew up in the poor parts of Texas. So some of these things probably seem like table stake goals now, but for me, they were like important things to me. And then from a career standpoint, like I wanted to learn certain things to become that CEO. And so what I find is, is a lot of leaders today is they don't, you don't have to have a 20 year plan, but they don't plan far enough in advance to, to achieve what they want to achieve. They kind of, you know, I'm going to try this this year. Let's see how it fits. Try this next year. Like, I think that you don't necessarily have to be a 20 year planner, but you have to be an intentional thinker and an intentional writer. So you if you want to achieve something in a year or two years, you need to write it down. It doesn't have to be a complex plan. It could be like Steve Goodseller likes to say the one pager. So you could write a one pager of what you want to achieve in the next couple of years. At least you've written it down. That's the third thing that I would say. Okay, so let's let's back it up there. On the listening tour, what does that look like? So say someone is here and they're going from individual contributor and now they're going to be in a management role or they're starting a company or they're a dentist and they're going to have branch off and go be their own boss somewhere else. Yeah. So what does that listening tour practically look like? Well, you identify your key audience. So I think in the dentist point of view, you, you do a listening tour with your customers, right? You try to understand what your customers need, what the, what's different from what has been provided, what would be most valuable. You do a listening tour for workers in an office, like it's a small office usually with the dentist, right? So what are the type of things that will help motivate and inspire your workers, right? And think through that. And then you think about your own vision about what you want your dental practice to become and why it's different and why it's unique, right? That's a little bit different. If you're becoming a leader, let's say in a larger enterprise company, what you want to do is you want to look at, you want to talk to your team, but you want to talk to your stakeholders, right? And your indirect stakeholders. And that way you can learn the 360 view of anybody that would touch your position so that you can really understand. And, and it just really, it's just sitting down, talking to someone, having a couple of questions, but normally it's just listening to them. Because once you start ask one question, most people have 30 minutes of conversation that they want to tell you about because nobody's asking them questions. And so they want to be like, oh, someone's going to talk to me. Well, let me tell you, right? And so you'll gather a ton of information just by being the listener versus the talker. The thing that combats what you're talking about right there in those kind of large enterprise or even setting up a dentist office or whatever it might be is that, that desire to get things done to prove results. Yeah. And I've seen this and I've felt this before where you go into a place and you're getting hired because of your ability, your excellence, your contribution. 
and now you're getting hired and it's like, I got to go show that I'm going to get something done. So, so how do you fight against that? Especially if, say, example, you're getting hired into a upper management role and there is a lot of expectations of what you can do, yet you need to do this kind of listening to her, understand and everything so that you can know who you're yeah. developing. How do you yeah. fight against that? What are some well, well, I think it's, things? I think the, uh, the way that you approach it is kind of more strategically where it doesn't really feel like you're fighting against it. What I like to do is I like to call it expectation setting. So when I go into a new organization and I get hired on, uh, I talk about the power of co-creation with my boss and my boss's boss and how it's super important for me to co-create the future of what we need to deliver with my team and with my stakeholders. Because you've hired me to be a leader, but as a leader, I'm not an individual contributor that can do everything. So I must drive alignment to the vision. I must listen. I must understand. And I must come back and help them understand how we can co-create this amazing vision together. And by in so doing, we're going to create a culture that transcends whatever this vision is. It's for this year or the next year, we're going to create a culture that's going to last for five or 10 years, right? And so when you talk in that type of a language to the, the, the folks that have the expectation of what you're going to do, it relaxes the expectation a little bit. And then when you talk to the people that are actually going to be delivering the work, like, oh, wow, you're, you're talking about leadership and they're willing to give you like a little bit of time to co-create it and figure it out. Wow, leadership's better than I thought they were, right? So you're building a positive perception of leadership because often leadership never really talks, to, especially in big companies at the front line. And then the second thing <clears throat> that you're doing is you're, you're creating this perception. Um, so I had an old boss, Mark Wooden, wonderful guy, still works at Microsoft. He used to say, um, uh, Jonathan, you're always on stage and you never know when the curtains open. Um, so it's all about perception is reality. So you create this perception with the people, which becomes reality because they believe it, is that they're co-creating it. And then the trick, or trick is probably the wrong word, but the ticket is then your execution plan needs to honor the co-creation process and the expectation process. And if you can do that, then as a leader, you're bringing everybody along with you to the future rather than you marching ahead and looking like you're doing things for your own individual purpose or your, your own individual gain. You're doing it for the gain of the team. And every company that I've ever worked with, if you do it that way, it's going to work. You're always going to have a little bit of tension from some, somebody. Some people are going to leave because they don't want to be part of this new world. Some executives are going to put some pressure on you, but it's your job as a leader to deflect the pressure and to manage it and so forth. But if you can bring people together, drive the right perception, which becomes the reality and co-create it, then you're going to, you're going to be able to fight against or actually break down the wall. So you don't, it's, you're just walking forward and executing. When, when you're talking about this, listening to her, one of the things that I, I keep, I keep thinking about is that sometimes we try to develop people, but we don't know what we're trying to sell them on, what path of development. Yeah. So what you're talking about here is really that understanding perspective and even getting your bosses to understand your need to understand them. And then once you understand them, then you can put them on that path of development. That's right. That's Because right. not everybody needs to be developed the same way. You know, I do a lot of executive and communication coaching and some people are much better in this area. Others are much better in this area. But if you're doing it 
a one size development plan fits all, you're not paying attention. You're not listening to what people actually need from you. Yeah. Well, I think the cool thing about the listening tour is I'm, I have a different viewpoint on development than a lot of leaders. I don't think it's my responsibility to develop people. It's my responsibility to create an environment and a culture where people feel like that they can dream about their future, try to imagine what it is, and then I empower and enable my leaders and myself to help them to get there. Like nobody came to me and said, hey, um, let me help you become a CEO. That, that didn't happen and it never will happen, right? Nobody came to me and said, hey, let me help you you know, become a VP or director. It didn't happen and, and it probably never will happen. But <clears throat> I took my own accountability of my development. And I said, this is what I want to achieve. Who do I go to in the organization that can help me do that? And sometimes it's a hit and a miss or a win and a learn, you know, but you have to take ownership of your own development. And if, if you have a leader, ostensibly like me, hopefully I'm a good leader. And if, if you have a leader like me, where you feel like you can get mentorship or advice from, that's the most valuable thing that I can do is, is provide mentorship or advice because your path is your path. And the way that I've done it isn't going to be the way that's going to work for you, but there may be an idea or two that you can learn from me that you can then acclimate into your own path. And if I can open a door or I can break down a wall for you, I will, but it's up to you to dream about what you want to achieve. So right here, we're thinking about if we're going to develop people, putting the impetus on them, but letting them know that we're up for it. That's right. And letting them know, hey, I'm, I'm available. I'm not going to make you develop because I can't make you grow, but yeah. I can give you the opportunities to do so. Yeah. And what kind of opportunities were you providing your team that might be transferable elsewhere? Well, I mean, I think when we talked earlier, we chatted about in the listening tour, I, I found when people weren't being appreciated. So when I worked for a company, monster.com many years ago, I was launching the new outsourcing division. And so I, I kind of met with hundreds of people and I identified eight to 10 people that were in kind of frontline roles. And I said, these people have, they have talent, they have capability. Let me bring them into my team and grow them. They're, they, they don't have the experience to do the jobs that are in my team, but rather than go hire somebody, let me bring these eight talented people in and coach and mentor and grow them. So that's an, that's an example of, and I've done that many times in my career, where you, you, you try to find those opportunities or incentivize. There's another example later in my career when I worked for a video game company where the, the, the activities of the frontline workers didn't match the incentive structure of the company. And so I worked with the CEO to fix that. And once we fixed the incentive structure where the work that the frontline employees were doing matched the incentive structure, we started to see much higher performance and much more valuable and purpose out of those frontline employees because they felt appreciated. So I, you know, I think a, a key part of it is just really understanding what people's talents, purpose, and, and dreams are, and then and trying to find ways that you can enable that. Now they have to come to the table and they have to do their do their thing and, and show the, their value, but at least you give them that opportunity. It, one of the reasons why I launched this segment on, on YouTube and as a podcast on Masters of Employee Development is because it's something I've always been passionate about, interested in. And I think there's 
two ways that that listeners can take this. How can I develop myself? And then how can I create a culture where people around me can be developed or whatever take you have on it? I'm developing them, providing opportunities, empowering them yeah. to be developed so they can grow. When I was in my 20s, one of the things I did, and I hear you saying it too, is I went out there and I, I literally drove places. At one time I drove from Seattle to Michigan to meet with a mentor. I didn't have money yeah. for a flight, so I drove and slept yeah. in my slept in the trunk of my car on rest stops. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. For a short meeting. But it's that kind of aggressive, I'm going to develop myself. I'm going to spend the money. I'm going to spend the time in my 20s so that I'm started off in the right path. Yeah. And then if you're on the other side and you're in that leadership, making it so that people don't have to drive, making it so people don't That's have right. to work That's so right. hard. What did you do to signal to them? Was it part of just the listening what was there other things that you did to let them know that hey, I am available to help you grow if you want to? Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think it's, it's an interesting one, right? And it's a, you're, we're going to come back to the balance of what you were talking earlier about the balance of execution, the balance of development, right? Because you're hired to, to execute and grow a business. And so there's a part of your time, which is really focused on that. And then there's a part of your time, which is focused on development. So there's a couple of things I did. So transparently, um, I appreciate that you've included me on the Masters of Employee Development segment. I don't necessarily see myself as a master, but what I see myself as is I know what I'm not great at, and I know how to surround people with around me that are great at it. So, so Scott McCabe, my co-founder, he would be a master of employee development. He is the people master. He is like, they used to call him the Jonathan Whisperer. Um, because he would be able to take the, my words and communicate in such a meaningful way where everyone got attached to it. So I would say I, I did my best to come to the table, but I realized that in some cases I fall short because of my skill set, my strengths, and my natural kind of inclination. And so I surrounded myself with people that were way different than me, that could really, and, and that were way different than me, but had the courage to speak the truth to me. And that then we could build a great culture. And so I think that's the other thing is like, if you look at, if you look at whether it's your organization, whether it, you know, it's your team or yourself, if you break yourself out of the bounds of your corporate structures and you think about the people that you engage with as a network of individuals, the question I would ask is, are you getting bi-directional value from that relationship? And if you're getting one direction your way, but not giving that direction back, you need to fix that and, and provide bi-directional value. Conversely, if you're providing value and somebody's not willing to provide it back, then you need to sever that network connection and, and find a new network connection. So when you think about the seven, seven concentrics of trust in your, in, your, in your first three concentric circles, you want to have your most trusted mentors individuals that can help you support you that you can help and grow and support because if you can be that then it doesn't really matter where you're working or what role you are in a company right if you can if you can do that for people and there's bi-directional value then over time you're going to have network effect where you're you're going to have impact on people that are six or seven concentric circles away that you don't even know about because they're not in your circles but you're giving advice or you're helping somebody in your circle. So I think it's important to think about that. A lot of times individuals, they're like, well, if I'm not getting monetary value 
out of this relationship, why should I give anything to it? Right. And I think that that's, I understand why people do that, but I think it's the wrong approach. Like there are many years where Steve and I had no, no financial connections with each other, right. Where we were just giving each other advice. And I have, you know, four or five people like Steve that I worked with in my career, like Mark Honeycutt, Mark Wood, and a bunch of other mentors that I really trust that they don't, they don't get any value monetarily from it, but we just support each other and we help each other in our own way. And, and I would think that's, that's the more powerful part of employee development, you know, than being a, being a master of it is being a master of your own network and, and not trying to get gain out of your network, but to have mutual benefit in your network would be what I would give as advice. <laughs> Isn't that what a master would say that I'm not good at this? <laughs> And, and really, the, the results have shown that you really have developed people and done this. So I love the humility in it and the take on it. So the, I'll classify it versus you owning it. And even taking us through what you talked about, though, is so valuable. The listening to her, I think if people didn't take away from all these other areas that you've added on, if and they just did a listening tour with their employees, yeah. it would just be so big. Like This is why, and you and I, we've both done the the 360 degree. Yeah. What is it that your team thinks about your leadership all around you, up beside you, below you? I've led those, Steve leads those. We've either led or been a part of them. And that's, that's huge to understand, to listen. And then that second thing that you talked about with them in, in the sense of seeking out the opportunities for them. And the third, writing it down. I think this concentrical network is, is interesting. I know what you're talking about here, my guess is as a lot of people are listening, there's some who are familiar with it, some who are not. So unpack that a little bit more. And uh, I don't remember where, where it comes from. So can you give the source as well? Or if you, if you remember the book? Uh, so to be honest, uh, the, I found out about the concentric circles of trust from my therapist. So when I was a kid, there's a lot of abuse and stuff that happened in my childhood. And one of the things that my therapist taught me was that as you are building relationships, ensure your relationships are bi-directional. And the concentric circles are, if you took it, if you look at a circle like this, who are the individuals in this circle that you, you trust the most? That are kind of your, your, they don't have to be family, but maybe in the way that the world thinks about the definition of family, you might consider them to be family, even if they're not blood, right? And then, Who's in that second circle there? Maybe they're not family, but maybe they're trusted business um, professionals or trusted business folks or mentors that you go to. Maybe the third um, folks are people that you don't see as often, but whenever you, you talk to them, you have meaningful engagement relationships. Maybe they're people from your past. You know, maybe they're people of friends of friends. And then you start to look at like, once you get to the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, you really only have time for the, for the first three. Right. And so then you have to let the fourth, fifth and sixth kind of go. Right. And that's what she kind of talked to me about my therapist, um, Charlotte Davis, um, that she talked to me about. And so I've applied it to business. I don't have the source of it, but I applied it to business in the same way that like Steve Goodsler was in my and has been in my first concentric circle of trust. Right. And as I've built relationships, I've had I have a few people like Steve in the first and first circle, and then the second and the third, right? Steve introduced me to, to you, right, Mike? And now you're in my first three circles, right? Because you and I have had some wonderful, meaningful, bi-directional conversations. 
And so I think people just have to think about it from that concept of how many usually, there's not really a right number, but maybe in your first circle, you have five or 10 people, 10 or 20, and maybe 30 or 40, and then it gets too many people to kind of manage, right? And so you think of it like like that way, and then and then you then you kind of quickly understand where bi-directional value is coming. And then if you sit, if you sit a network underneath your concentric circles of trust, then who are those people networked with where they can provide value to you? And who are you networked with where you can provide value to them? So that's what the concept. So I'm I'm combining two concepts there, which is the concentric circles of trust with the network and network effect capability that is quite quite popular now kind of in the blockchain world, in the Amazon world, the network, network effect. I'm combining those two concepts and saying, that's how you become a master of of development is by identifying your concentric circles, connect it to the network and make sure bi-directional value is happening throughout the network. There's this new networking group for people who have sold their company that's in the millions of dollars and stuff like that. And they they have realized that those outer chains of influence are not nearly as meaningful. And so their whole idea is we've been to conferences and yep. it wasn't the conferences that were great. It was the conversation we had with someone who was in that That's right. That's one, right. two, three, and as a network. And it's a very interesting right. baby bathwater. I had a, <laughs> that's the, what they're called. And they do these events, but basically they're trying to create these moments where people on this inner circle are having these conversations with each other. That's right. To, that's to right. talk about it. And, really create that. And yeah. as you're talking, there's a couple of books. There's, I think one called, a, it's more about friendship and such that are pulling from these ideas, but regardless of the exact paradigm it's coming from, and I always talk about there's five levels of friendship and what you're talking about here is these are in the, in those inner three and the closer you get, of course, that's going to be more and more relevant. Yeah. As people are listening to you, I would say this for people, find one or two or three people that are that close to you. That's that right. You have this pact of development. And then for you who are developing others, find people that you can be that trusted mentor for. If you think about the five stages of the life of a worker, you start, you edit, you master, and then you start passing it on in these levels right here. So That's if right. you're at this stage right here, who can you start passing it on to? If you're at this stage, who can you look up to? If you're in that's the middle, right. who, you, who can you do it alongside? That's right. Man, that's fascinating. There's so, so much more that we can unpack there. We're running up on to our time, but where can people find you, Jonathan? Where, where can people connect with you? Are you on LinkedIn? And I'll put the links on there. Are you at Officium? Tell us a little bit about where you're yeah, at. Yeah, I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Troyer, um, OfficiumLabs.io. And that's where my company um, is uh, located. You can find me in both those. I'm on Twitter a bit um, as well. Or you can just email me at uh, jschroyer at officiumlabs.io. Thanks for the time so much, Mike. It's always fun to talk with you. And I know that you've got a breadth of knowledge with a bunch of other leaders just like me. So it's fun to, to talk to you about this stuff and learn from you and learn from your, your books and, and kind of all the other guests you've had. So thanks again for the opportunity to share just some of my thoughts too. Absolutely. Jonathan, it's so much fun. And thanks for the idea that you gave me yesterday. Looking forward to just exploring that more. I'll have to chat with you more offline about that. The You have a book coming out this next year, and I'll make sure I'll, I'll share that later and such as well. But it's a little bit about your own 
growth as a person. And so that will be excited. And and maybe we'll dive into that at a future point in time. Until next time, though, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Jonathan. All right. Thanks. Have a good day. And to everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in, listening, checking it out. Make sure you subscribe, follow, like, share with others so you don't miss what's coming up. And during this holiday season, hope you've had some incredible holidays. Thanks for listening to Masters of Employee Development. Do you know someone who would be a great guest? Send them to mikeacker.com forward slash apply. Do you want the show notes? Go to connect.mikeacker.com. Until next time, subscribe, rate, and give a review on Amazon or iTunes or your favorite platform. Thank you.